city to go. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, so they kept his mind on track. There we go. All right. Good morning, church. All right. Uh, if somebody's in the hallway, you can come on in. Or you can stay there, I guess. I don't know. All right. We have a few songs for you this morning. Um, looks like we have a quiet group so far, but it's okay. We can still sing and praise God. Uh, we can start with a quick word of prayer. Thank you, God, that we could be here, that we could sing for you. And uh, thank you for doing so much in our lives. Amen. All right, why don't you, everyone can stand up, or you can stay seated. Uh, we have uh, three songs. Here we go. Wait a second, I start on the wrong chord. We're going to fix this. Here we go. There we go. Beside you, you open up my eyes. 
changing God your mercy never fades and I'm surrounded 
compassion and your grace. Your love, brighter than the sun, more beautiful than words could ever say. This endless life, shining over all, it leads us to Good morning, church family. I'm Deb McCormick, and I have the honor of leading testimony time. <laughs> now you can hear me. Um, while you're thinking about um, any God sightings you've seen this week or recently, um, I'm going to read a verse. The Lord led me to this one this morning. 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. All right, does anyone have anything they'd like to uh, share with us for testimony time or God-setting time? All right.
Good morning, church. You ever have one of those days where you've been peopling and you've been doing, and then you get a message that's like, okay, I am already spent for the day, but I don't have much choice. So last night, God allowed me to have an interaction with somebody, and it was over a free mop that I was giving away on Marketplace. And she's like, I really, really need this mop. I'm a single mom. I really, can you please just hold it for me? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a mop. I, I have no problem holding it. And she came and she was like, I'm just very tired. And she shared her story with me and I was tired. So I was like, well, okay, I have this opportunity. I have this moment. I can love this person like Jesus, even though I really want to go to bed. But, and she told me her story and she is dealing with financial abuse, the father of her children, and she is trying to get every resource and she's incredibly isolated. And she thanked me so much. She's like, this mop is not just a mop. This is, you're empowering me because I don't have to reach out to the father of my children and be manipulated. And it, for me, it was just like, I want this out of my house. But for her, it was a moment where she got to connect with somebody and I got to connect with her. And that was powerful, and it was it let me think outside myself. And I would just like to ask church that you would pray for her. Her name is Deborah, and she needs resources, stability, and connection with people is what she asked for. She's got a six-month-old and a 21-month-old, and she's pulling everything herself, having complications postpartum and all those things. So just if we could pray for her. And I'm just really thankful I got to connect with her in that moment. And to me, it was a mop, but to her, it was a true moment. So thank you, God, for that. I'm just going to take it next. OK. This is a little bit self-serving because I want to get my nerves out first because I'm teaching this morning. But I did have something happen last night that I wanted um, to share. So. I thought when you turned 44 that you stopped having to go to bachelorette parties, but it's not the case apparently. So I was out really late and needed to bail from the group, so I called the Lyft to go home. And um, you know how on Lyft, I don't know if you use it, you can um, set your like ride preferences. So I'm always like, cool temperature, cool music, good conversation, because I'm a serial extrovert. So. I get in the car and I close the door. The gentleman says, where are we going? Farmington Hills. And he goes, so what do you think about religion? <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about religion. And the 35 minute drive home from downtown Detroit, we talked about the similarities between the Muslim faith and the Christian faith and Judaism, and he was curious about Hindu, and I mean, we just had this really incredible, rich dialogue, and I got out of the car, and he says, God bless you, and I was like, y you too. I didn't know really what to say, but um, I thought about the fact that when I set my preferences on Lyft, it's kind of a reflection of me setting my preferences and my profile for life and interactions and how I invite God to use me and kind of how I can show up in the world in a way, even though I was 
mildly intoxicated and a little bit tired, I was able to still be in conversation and have value and um, share something meaningful with this gentleman who was driving me home, so. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> all right. Good morning, all. Um, I have this verse that came across my attention this week, and I was thinking about it, and I feel like someone here needs to hear it besides me. Um, this is Isaiah 45, two through four. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in dark places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. And that was, I feel like that's very profound, that, that part, I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in dark places. I like to tell my children that father did not say he would, that we would be saved from every hard thing. However, in those hard things, there are treasures. There are riches in those hard things. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Is there anything, anyone else that has something they'd like to share this morning? Thank you so much for sharing that and your voice is very, that was poignant. Anyway, my name's Katrina. This is my, one of my sons, Cristiano, and he is inspiring me to share the miracle of his baby brother. Um, but there's a little bit of backstory. So I had some dark seasons and the Lord has given me some treasures. And I actually attended this church as a single woman about a decade ago. And um, there was a lot of little babies in the, in the church at that time. There still are. And it was a very deep desire of mine to have children. And at that time, it wasn't possible. And um, the Lord has since blessed me with children and Cristiano actually we were we were just going to have him we weren't going to have any more and um he prayed for another little brother or sister and we that was not in the cards and it his brother actually is very much a miracle because he was a joyful surprise and um cristiano prayed for him and he wanted me to share that but i felt like the full circle of being able to bring my children into this church now a decade later um, and the fact that he wants to praise God for this gift this answered prayer and just how the Lord can come full circle um, even if there was a lot of pain I keep looking at you and Amanda but um, I remember there was a church service I was sitting over here and I think I bawled the entire church service um, and I, because of this pain in my heart of wanting kids. So now being able to bring them here 
and they actually went to Olive Branch and the brother is in Olive Branch still. So I just feel like that's a testimony of the Lord. Um, he does not always work the way we intend him to and our stories are not always written in the way we would write them ourselves. Definitely mine has not been written that way, but um, I always say my boys and my bonus daughters, some of my richest gifts I've been given. So I wanna praise the Lord, praise the Lord for Cristiano and um, thank you. So. Good morning, church. This is not something I usually talk about, but I thought I'd praise God for a cool milestone I hit. I hit 10 years sobriety about, thank you. And uh, that was about a few weeks ago, and my father-in-law hits 20 years sobriety in about two months. So we're both celebrating later this year on a golf trip, and this is one of the reasons I've still chosen that sober path, Miss Eliana here, so I wanted to say it in front of her too. So life is good. Amen. Yeah, praise God. All right, this is wonderful this morning. Anybody else have something they'd like to share? Can you get more God sightings? We take more and more. <laughs> All right. All right. How about everyone? Stand on up. We have one more song. Um, the stand. I'm supposed to release the kids. Oh, to I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I messed up. I always miss that. But yep, the kids are released to go to their classes, and they know what they're doing. All right, here we go. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the world into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my shame my sin weighed upon your shoulders so now to stand what can I say what can I do offer this heart
morning, church. Hi, my name is Greg, and welcome to Genesis. Um, at J Genesis, we want to create sp spaces for belonging. On the first Sunday of the month, we eat together, uh, so join us together for lunch. The theme for today is all things salad, and me and my wife prepared Oreo fluff salad. So if you want to come and experience that, please stick around. Um, yeah, stay and eat with us. There's enough, and uh, we'll be taking communion around the lunch tables. Um, please take a moment to let us know that you are here by filling out either the digital connection card on our website or the physical green card in your pew. Um, if you're new, new to Genesis, you can text new to Genesis, all one word, to 94000. And on that green card too, you can um, put in prayer requests. We want to be supporting each other and caring for one another. Uh, you, can, you can place that physical green card in the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary. This is also where you can place your offering if you have brought it with you. Um, you can also give online or through text, and thank you to all who give. Uh, we love to put our faith into action uh, to activate. Uh, one immediate action is with the CDC, uh, Central Detroit Christian Community Development Corporation, and they are a Genesis Compassion Partner who works to empower people, create positive opportunities for their community, and love their neighbors as themselves. 
Um, part of this includes setting up kids for success for going back to school. Um, and this is uh, opportunities for K through 12. And so we wanna collect new backpacks and school supplies. And that's going through next Sunday, which is August 13th. So uh, please go out and bring stuff in. Um, we wanna make sure that we're loving them well. Uh, you have two ways to donate. Um, you can also uh, drop off backpacks and donations in the lobby on uh, next Sunday, or you can purchase items off the Amazon wish list, um, which um, you can find in the weekly e-blast for that wish list. Um, and the prices range in item in price from four to thirty dollars. So, um, yeah. So we're going to do connection time now. So, what is uh, the most quirky salad that you've ever heard of or had. Uh, share that with the person nearby. Thanks.
Well, good morning again, and welcome to Genesis. Here this first Sunday of August. So glad you're here. So as Hannah shared in testimony time, she's going to be teaching to us today and sharing, which is, which is awesome. So we've been following. Um, there's a set, like um, churches follow a set pattern of the scriptures, or some of them do, called the Revised Common Lectionary. And it sets up the teachings over a three-year cycle. And so I put them out, and I, and I shot um, some communication to Hannah and said, Hannah, would you be willing to teach and to shoulder the list? And she said, yes. She said, I'd like to teach on this day. I've known Hannah for, Hannah, you've been a, a, been a part of this community for, I don't know how long, 10 years, maybe eight years, seven years, seven years. Uh, she has participated and served in every possible capacity. Um, if you know Hannah, she's hands-on. She's a big lover of people. Um, if you're in need, she's there. If the crap hits the fan, Hannah's there. Um, and then she's probably going to take care of you when she's there. She's going to provide food and that kind of, she, she jumps in. That, that's who she is. I know that Hannah is also um, a lifelong learner. And so she's, she's wanting to grow. And sometimes to grow, you got you to gotta go through it, right? You got to dig in. You got to figure out what's going on. And I know that Hannah does that. And so I'm excited that when this opportunity came, Hannah said, yes. I'll share, and I think I have something. And so with that, we are honored. She is trusted. We trust her voice. We love her, and she's here to, to serve, to be vulnerable, and to set up a context for us. And so we believe that in all of this is the beautiful opportunity to hear from God. And so with that, we're super, um, I'm looking forward to today. Thank you for being willing to step up. No one likes to do this. Right? No one likes to say, oh, let me just open up my life and, and talk to you for 30 minutes of that. But I always love when people said, I'm willing. And they do it as an act of love, an act of service. And with that, I'm super, super um, fortunate to be a part of a community with Hannah and that she said yes today. So with that, Hannah, let me, let me pray for us and you. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for your good gifts. Thank you for Hannah and her willingness to share how you've shaped her, to share what you've impressed upon her, to encourage us, to challenge us, and to open us up to what you might have for us. And so, Lord, we pray, uh, help us here. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Let us have receptive hearts and minds and ears to hear. Thank you that we get to do this into community together. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Am I on? Oh, good. It's like my wildest dreams coming true. I feel like Adele with this microphone. Hello. Okay. Um, as has been said a number of times already, my name is Hannah. My husband, Benjamin, and I have been a part of the Genesis community since early 2016. Um, and it is a real honor and a privilege to be up here in a teaching capacity. Um, this morning, we're going to visit the story of Jesus feeding the multitude that's reflected to us through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, 13 through 21. Um, aside from Jesus's death and subsequent resurrection, this is one of the most iconic and significant moments in Jesus's life. 
Um, it was a massive display of a miracle, and it was very, very public. We're probably somewhat familiar with this story. I'm hoping this famous story of Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000. I've learned that that didn't include women and children, so there was more than 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fishes with a lot of leftovers. A couple things and perspectives that I think might be helpful um, to share with you as we begin. They're also helpful for me. Um, I am not a theologian or a biblical expert. In fact, most of my life, I have deeply wrestled with the theory of the infallibility of scripture. I deeply believe in the teachings of Jesus and, the, and I work to model my life after his. However, I have a lot of questions. As Bo mentioned, I'm a lifelong learner and I have a lot of questions and curiosities. I don't always love the behavior of some Christians, especially when the behavior is a wild misuse of the text that's documented in the Bible. And I have often found the Bible to be a source of frustration when others have found there to be great comfort in it. I have found the Bible to be inconsistent when some have found it to offer structure and a blueprint for life. And I have found the Bible in the way that we use it to leave a lot of room for interpretation. And when that interpretation causes harm to others, I find myself feeling angry towards it. I will share some examples this morning of about how I wrestle and um, why, and maybe some of those other examples of how I feel angry towards it, but it is um, quite a privilege. There is something deeply privileged about being a trusted voice in a faith community at the invitation of our spiritual leaders. Um, and I'm conscious and very cautious of my curiosities and frustrations misguiding us. So God, I thank you for your protection over my words, um, your care for these precious people, Please guide my words. Let what needs to be heard land, and everything else can just fall off. Lord, hear our prayer. Another thing that I think might be important for you to know about me is that for most of my life, food has held a deep and significant role in my life and played a large role in shaping not just my hips, but the relationships I have, my identity, the extension of care that I extend to other people, and now even my career. I have a lot of stories to tell you about the role food has played in my life and why this particular miracle performed by Jesus stood out to me. So when I was invited to teach, I was given a list of dates, as Bo mentioned, and Jesus feeds the multitude popped up. And I will weave some of those stories throughout, but I wanted to share a few stories to set the stage. Um, when I was very young, three to four years old maybe, my father worked at a factory. He would get up very early in the morning and leave to get ready for his day. Uh, I would hear him get up and I'd take my toys and go sit outside the bathroom while he was showering and getting dressed. And then we would, uh, I have these very vivid, distinct memories of me following him out to the kitchen, a very chatty toddler at his heels. I have this vision of an olive green small plate stacked with toast and cheese and apples and peanut butter. And we would have this special breakfast time that no one ever knew about. It was four o'clock in the morning. Nobody else in the house was up. I like to imagine that he enjoyed that time together too. 
one-on-one -on -one meals with my dad reappear in my memory banks. The time we'd go to Burger King or Wendy's before small group on Wednesdays, and it was just the two of us. Tuesdays, we'd get hot bagels because they were on sale from the bagel shop, and we would eat them in the car. They often scalded our mouths. And then, of course, later, Costco dates for hot dogs, where we would always pretend it was going to be just a quick trip. When I was six, another story, we attended Northwest Christian Missionary Alliance Church. One Sunday night, a missionary from the Soviet Union was speaking. He was a guest at our church. I typically ended up at six years old on the floor, coloring, begging for snacks, doing other things that kids do without childcare on Sunday nights. The guest speaker, from what I can remember, was this incredibly animated, loudly condemning the congregants for not helping to feed the world enough. In particular, an orphanage that he was projecting in orphan, I'm sorry, particularly orphans that he was projecting in black and white photos printed behind us on transparency film on an overhead projector. I already said how old I am, so there was no, no Zoom. Um, I think the loud condemnation must have gotten my attention because I stood up from my art studio on the floor and I saw these gaunt, sad, lonely, scared images of children and they burned into my memory. The missionaries pleased to the congregation turned desperate, practically begging for more money to feed the starving children. The impact was deep, and I didn't realize how deep until my mother told a story about how the next day she watched me mix mud and grass and slap wet, slap wet earth mixtures of mud onto my Fisher-Price barbecue set outside. When she asked me what I was doing, I aggressively responded, I'm feeding the Russians. Empathy, compassion, and a desire towards generosity were birthed in me at a very young age. And there is a deep connection to my desire to use food as a way to nourish, comfort, and help mend the world. Benjamin and I, so you can share um, the photo, Ryan, thank you. Benjamin and I have a unique tradition that started 14 years ago. We signed up for a meal train to bring dinner to friends that, we had, that had just had their first baby. We were early in our marriage, and I didn't know how to cook for less than six people, so we brought enough dinner for a family of six and room to stick in the freezer for later. Our friends greeted us at the door, weary and hungry, but probably not just for food, but also for meaningful conversation. While we unloaded food, we offered to do things like vacuum, wipe a counter down, hold their baby so they could eat, and they eagerly asked us to stay for dinner which I thought was weird. They're tired, they don't want people in their house. Um, so we held their refluxy baby while they ate hot food and held conversation and spent time with them. And as we were cleaning to head out, they asked if we could come over and have dinner with them again sometime soon. I jokingly said, next Monday? And they said, sure. And that began uh, this past April, marked 14 years of Monday night dinners with our friends Rich and Kate, who we've now become incredibly close friends and family with, um, as well as uh, they are some of our closest friends and have gotten to watch their kids grow up. Finally, I am the executive director of a global charity with the mission to reduce food waste and fight food insecurity around the world. 
The vision statement for the company that I work for reads, we are reimagining the world's food supply chain by preserving, protecting, and optimizing the distribution of food to be the world's most dynamic temperature-controlled logistics company, to reduce food waste, and to help feed the world. To help feed the world. Like, my job was literally made for me. They didn't know that when they hired me, but I dare you to find somebody who has more passion about feeding people. So let's begin with the actual teaching. Our beloved friend Amanda Hines gets pretty fired up about this, so for my safety and yours, I'm using the complete Jewish Bible translation for this text, but you can also feel free to follow along in whatever translations you prefer, which might not be the complete Jewish translation. And I'll do my best with some of the words because they're not English. On hearing this, Yeshua, who is Jesus, left a boat to be by himself in the wilderness, but the people learned of it and followed him from towns by land. So when he came ashore, he saw a huge crowd, and filled with compassion for them, he healed those of them that were sick. As evening approached, the Talmudim, which is his disciples, came to him and said, there is a remote place. This is a remote place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go and buy food for themselves in the village. I mean, come on, as if. But Yeshua replied, they don't need to go away. Give them food. Give them something to eat yourselves. All we have with us, they said, is five loaves of bread and two fishes. He said, bring them to me. After instructing the crowd to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he made a bikraha, which is a blessing, then broke the loaves of bread and gave them to the disciples to give to the crowd. They ate as much as they wanted, and there were 12 baskets left over. Those eating numbered 5,000 men plus women and children. Okay, quick informal poll. How many of you, raise of hands, have fed five people? Okay, leave your hands up if you've prepared a meal for 20 people. 50. 100. 5,000. So, fun fact, for six years, Benjamin and I and a few brave volunteers prepared over 5,000 meals two weekends in a row when we ran craft services for a um, services department for a massive Halloween-themed immersive art experience that happens here in Detroit called Theater Bazaar. That's another TED Talk. There are several things that are significant about this miracle that Jesus performed, and two of them stand out to me. The miracle of the feeding of the multitude is one of the only miracles recounted in all four of the Gospels. It appears in Mark 6, 30 through 44, Luke 9, 10 through 17, and the most detailed account is in the Gospel of John in chapter 6. There is also an account of Jesus feeding 4,000 in Matthew 15. This is, appears to maybe be a repeat miracle. But the fourfold repetition of the story is a clue that it represents a memory that is near and dear to the heart of the early church. Apparently, they viewed it as a memory too far to be too important to be forgotten. There were several perspectives that I picked up on when reading all four of these accounts. Matthew's account of the disciples' response 
is a matter-of-fact way to Jesus' command to give them, give the people food to eat. The accounts of the story in Mark and Luke and John emphasize in varying ways a more sarcastic skepticism of the disciples. In Matthew, they simply report, we have nothing here to eat but five loaves and two fishes, to which Jesus responds, bring them to me. And then in John, Jesus himself distributes the food, but in Matthew, the picture seems to be of the disciples themselves moving through the crowd. So three perspectives emerged for me in reading this text. Along with the perspective came some of the reminders of really big moments in my own life. The parables that we've been learning about over the past few weeks and the telling of this particular miracle are invitational. They're timeless, and they represent a close-to-modern-day example. And I invite you, as you're listening, to consider how these miracles and parables and stories might be at work in your own life. The first perspective that emerged about Jesus feeding the multitude is that of a lesson that Jesus, following Jesus with the right motivations. Since the depiction of this story is quite a bit more detailed than the Gospel of John, it's like 60 more verses detailed, I, I bulleted out a few things that stood out particular with the crowd. So we know from the Gospel that Jesus is kind of on this bit of a crowd-gathering, lake-jumping, miracle-performing, parable-telling bender. He's been at it for a few days, maybe weeks, I'm not 100% clear. So we'll pick up this story at the part where the large crowd follows him because they had seen these miracles he performed on the sick that were among them. Jesus in the, with the disciples, he's in the hills. There's this large crowd approaching, and Philip says, where will we buy bread so that all of these people can eat? Verse 6 tells us that this was a little bit of a trick question because Jesus already has a plan. Philip's like, half a year's wages isn't enough money to buy food, and they'd only get one bite. Jesus got this generous donation of food from a young fellow in the crowd. He blesses the food. He passes it out. Leftovers are gathered. Total support of Kroger's Zero Hunger campaign. In verse 14, Jesus realizes that the miracles that he had been performing might have backfired. And this is where the curiosity I have about the crowd comes into play. When the people saw the miracle he had performed, they said, this has to be the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. Yeshua knew that they were on the point of coming to seize him in order to make him king. So he went back to the hills and this time by himself. So we've learned that this crowd has been following Jesus around. Their sicknesses have been healed. They've been miraculously fed. There are some significant and monumental miracles that are happening, and the crowd isn't satisfied. The crowd is looking for a king, and they are relentless in their pursuit of what they think they need. Spoiler alert, they're wrong. They didn't need a king or barley bread. Verse 16 through 21, this is the part where Jesus walks on the water to catch up with the disciples. There's a storm. They're afraid. I think we're all familiar with that one. Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, in true Jesus fashion. The crowd finds him on the other side of the lake and begins one of those weird things that Jesus said conversations. Do you remember last week or last month when Liz Taylor shared her title for this series, which is Weird Things That Jesus Said? The crowd, where did, how did you get here? When did you get here? They start questioning him. Jesus, 
Yes, indeed, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate bread and had all you wanted. Basically, I interpret this as Jesus deflecting. Don't worry about when I got here. The only reason you're looking for me is because you got more than enough to eat. He continues in verse 27, don't work for the food which passes away, but for the food that stays on into eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For this is the one on whom God the Father has put his seal. Crowd, what would we do, what should we do in order to perform the works of God? Jesus, here is what the works of God is, to trust in the one he sent. Again, Jesus not answering the question that the crowd actually wants. He's saying, look, trust in me, trust in the work of God. Crowd, again with the questions, what miracles will you do for us so that we may see it and trust you? What work can you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, referring to the Israelites. God gave bread from heaven to eat. At this point, my empathy, compassion, and generosity might have been tapped. Jesus literally performed a miracle, massive miracle, and these folks are still like, but for real, what can you do for us? Again, not answering the question, Jesus tells them that it wasn't Moses that gave your father's bread to eat from heaven, but it's God who gives genuine bread from heaven. For God's bread is the one who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Crowd, sir, give us that bread now. At this point, I'm simultaneously annoyed with Jesus and what seems like him playing with the crowd, and clearly they have a thing about bread. And remember when I said that I find the Bible frustrating sometimes, a lot of times? Why can't you just answer the question? I'm also really frustrated with this crowd because they're like, they got to see a miracle and they're not getting it. Second slide, John 6, 35 through 40. I am the bread which is life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever trusts in me will never be thirsty. I told you that you don't have, you, you haven't seen, and you, you have seen, and you still don't trust. Sorry. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will certainly not turn away. For I have come down from heaven to do not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose any of all those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Yes, this is the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and trust in him have eternal life, that I should raise them on the last day. Now my heart is softened. I'm touched by this statement from Jesus. Everyone the Father gives me will come, gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will certainly not turn away. This is a beautiful expression of his purpose and reveals so much more clarity about the will of God. The crowd gets grumpy, starts complaining. Did he just say that he came from heaven? But this is Joseph and Mary's son. I know his parents. Why did he say he has come down from heaven? Oh, the spiraling and the questioning and the ADHD, the crowd is just going nuts. They, Jesus says, stop grumbling with each other. And he shares another significant, meaningful uh, speech about everyone trusts and God has eternal life. Now the crowd starts to argue with each other. Does this sound familiar? Modern day example? The crowd, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus, this is 
says this thing about whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, I will raise them up. Now, upon hearing this, many of his followers actually start to freak out. This is a hard word. Who can bear to hear it? Jesus has some words with his disciples. He challenges them some more and makes them real uncomfortable. And some of them leave and they stop following. They don't have the right motivations. When I read about the feeding of the 5,000 of the Gospel of John, we're faced with an importance of our motivation in following Jesus. His reaction, in reaction to the miracle food, many in the crowd wanted two things. They wanted to make Jesus king, their actual king, and they wanted more miracle food. When it came clear that Jesus would agree to neither, many of his followers left him. They had followed Jesus out of a misguided motivation rather than being in harmony with Jesus's mission and motivations. Jesus's strong response to the pressure of the crowd points to the importance of Jesus himself and not just what he can do. Jesus indicates that he himself is the source of new life, personally is the bread of heaven. His message and his teachings are so much more important than his power. I think this might be a valid view and invites us to question what's our motivation in following Jesus. Do we follow Jesus because he's the source of new life and the initiator of the kingdom of God on earth? Or do we follow him for different motivations, like avoiding and escaping an angry God and fiery hell? Perhaps to benefit from wealth, health, and prosperity, to exert power and domination over other people. I told you Christians bother me sometimes. The second perspective that emerged is that of a God, great demonstration of Jesus's power and authority. I see the feeding of the 5,000 as one of these great public demonstrations. I've already mentioned it, but it is very massive and it's very public. This demonstration offered an invitation for validation of the teachings and claims that Jesus represents God. Jesus's power and authority was demonstrated in my own life for the, sorry, for the first and one of two times that I have physically had a physical manifestation of forgiveness. For about eight years of my childhood, my father was physically, verbally, and emotionally abusive to me and my sisters. He was violently and horribly abused himself as a child and his invitation to heal came much later in life. In his healing journey, he attempts to reconcile, he attempted to reconcile with his wife, my mother, who's here, hello, and his children. During a dinner together, naturally, he read a letter to me asking for my forgiveness. In the letter, he named specific acts of abuse that he had done towards me, I remember feeling a vibration rise inside of me. I wasn't shaking externally, but my spirit was quivering. I was calm, at peace, and I recognized a predetermined response to something that I had felt outside of my own control. Of course I forgive you, Dad. I said as soon as he gently laid this letter down on the table. He was crying, I was full of joy, and then our spaghetti came to the table. I was 15 years old, full of confusion, sticky, angsty teenager emotions, and wanting to both be independent and close to my parents, but had up until that point been so confused about my father's treatment of me 
In that moment, Jesus's power and authority took over my little heart and body, and I felt that confusion, fear, anger towards my father leave. I had a deep love for my father and spent the next 17 years of his life in aggressive, optimistic pursuit of that relationship. I'd wanted with him um, only earlier, remembering earlier in my formative years, when we had this very unbreakable bond. Before he passed away, I sincerely felt like he was my closest confidant and my number one biggest fan. My own miracle, my own great personal demonstration of Jesus's power and authority in my life. The third and final perspective <clears throat> that emerged from Jesus feeding the multitude is that of an example of Jesus's empathy, his compassion, and his generosity. Earlier this year, I had shared with you during testimony time that I was participating in a spiritual development class related to the gift of the prophetic. I was attending a faith community that held fundamental values and views that are much different than my own. I shared with you then that I was uncomfortable and I went into a season knowing that I was likely going to be experiencing discomfort in what I heard and was asked to do. This class was being offered by a faith community that I grew up in as an adolescent and young adult, and I had some painful experiences specifically related to the handling of some significant moral failings on the part of the leadership of that faith community and the subsequent treatment that I experienced when I pushed back on some of those decisions. I believe that I shared that attending Genesis for the last seven years has invited me to find peace and healing in a faith community, and I felt assurance and confidence of all of you as I walked into that class. It was an invitation to be curious and purposefully put myself in a space of discomfort and listen to something other than what feels right to me. The way the gift of the prophetic shows up for me is very specific, and it's taken a bit of practice and a whole lot of faith to even talk about this. I tend to only hear prophetic words for strangers. Rarely is it somebody that I know or even for myself. It's immediate and it feels like that inner spirit vibration that I was talking about with that conversation of my dad and that physical manifestation of forgiveness. It kind of feels like there's a miniature earthquake happening inside of me, but spiritually. There's a great heaviness that comes with the experience, and I have about five seconds to respond to the invitation from the Holy Spirit to say something, and then it's gone. Rarely do I get a word for myself or a word for the collective church. I am sharing this with you as a way to be very clear that what follows has been circulating and around in my mind for several years. It might not be for you, it might be a swing and a miss, but I continue to grow in my expression of the prophetic, and I want to share that this might be from the Lord, and it is most certainly a work that God has done in me. This idea is related to a common behavior I have done and am seeing and hearing of deep isolation and intentional removal of ourselves from relationships and situations that present some normal discomforts and inconveniences. 
I noticed this trend before the pandemic started and I would hear groups talk about not attending family functions because their brother's wife is just too much. The time of the event was inconvenient. I've watched some of us decline invitations because someone attending the event rubs you the wrong way or has a social pattern that might be divergent or different than ours. I have said and I have heard others not wanting to go to an event with friends because they didn't like the vibe or who was gonna be there. In my reflection and perhaps in a little bit of judgment, I have wondered if these behaviors were legitimate boundaries people needed to set up out of protection for themselves or others due to unreasonable expectations or unhealthy relationships, or if there were consequences of growing an intolerance towards minor discomforts. It felt like it was the latter in several of these examples. During the pandemic, this trend towards isolation and tolerance towards some of the natural discomforts that come with being and belonging became very easy for us. We had an invitation and mandates gave us the excuse to fully isolate from those that didn't have the privilege of or the access to our self-selected pods. This pattern of isolation became the new norm and like DoorDash delivering our favorite carryout to our homes, we began to DoorDash or special order our social interactions and relationships. I can order up the exact dose of my interaction that brings me the greatest comfort, requires the least, and not a moment more. My sample size is really small, but my hypothesis aligns with Newton's first law of motion. Objects in motion stay in motion, and objects at rest stay at rest. People engaged tend to stay engaged, and people who isolate tend to stay in isolation. There is a difference, and hear me, there is a difference between setting boundaries that are healthy and necessary for relationships and avoiding the normal discomforts that come with being in proximity with others. Bethany, your story this morning could not have been planned better. You were done peopling and you did a thing. You showed up at your front door. You held space for somebody in desperate need of connection and it was over a mop. Like how easy and how beautiful and how perfect is that? And now there's the potential that God may invite and move in someone's heart here to connect with that woman through Facebook and help her because you showed up during something what would have been inconvenient and you would have rather been in bed. May God bless that in you. Again, there's a difference between setting boundaries and avoiding those normal discomforts. I'm tired, I don't like the vibe, it's too early, it's too late. The person rubs me the wrong way. I don't like how I feel around them. Jesus is an example of this. His 12 closest friends were annoying, untrustworthy, anxious, and even dangerous. Empathy by definition involves stepping into some level of discomfort. And I can deeply relate to that behavior. Okay, quick confession. I am a people pleaser in recovery. Much like a drug or alcohol addiction, there are short-term rewards and long-term rituals that come with people pleasing. 
For the most part of my life, I adapted, evolved, transformed, and became whatever version of me that you wanted me to be. I was rarely honest and authentic. I was careless with my interactions, pining for approval and acceptance and behaved in a way that would yield your greatest affirmation. I am masterful at deferring to others and yielding in a decision to remain in your favor. People pleasing has caused me to lose friendships as has my recovery. In unlearning this behavior, the pendulum shifted to where I established fierce boundaries that I thought were for my protection, and I started to view many relationships as inconvenient or a threat. I like to say that I'm self-aware from 26 years of participating in talk therapy, which is partially true, but I also married a saint who gently helped me realize that I was tilting towards long-term isolation and not choosing compassion. I was avoiding re-engaging with others, even with relationships that were safe, healthy, and beneficial, because it was easy. It required so much less from me, and it was somewhat expected. My recovery journey began during the, before the COVID pandemic, which added an unexpected complexity. I ended up having a lot more alone time than I desired for or was healthy. So the story of Jesus is set with him returning from a moment of solitude to grieve the death of his cousin, the Apostle John. Again, I'm not a theologian. I think that this is what happened. As he moved, and he was moved with compassion and empathy for a large crowd that had gathered in search of him. He could have swiped left and no one would have questioned it or frankly even known him taking another moment for self-care and returning to solitude. Instead, he stepped closer. He stepped into their messiness. He held space for them. He healed them. He fed them. And he gave of himself. Now, I'm cautious of using Jesus as a comparison for how we should live our lives because the Bible tells us he was fully man and fully God. And my human brain just can't make that work. I'm not suggesting that we are ever going to have the same level of humility empathy, compassion, or even generosity of Jesus himself. I believe that these stories are study guides for our holy human, holy human lives here on earth. Modern gospel teachings have trained us to pursue the perfection of Jesus, which is impossible and ends up being performative. However, setting realistic goals and having a little faith that Jesus can work with us beyond our human capabilities and limitations isn't the worst thing. The Holy Spirit might be inviting you to take a moral inventory of your relationships and explore if there is bread you should be breaking with someone that you've tucked away from due to a low level of tolerance or discomfort. Might we stretch ourselves a little and self-correct when we hear ourselves repeating the same self-soothing permissions that only serve ourselves. As we wrap up, I know that it is easier to think that miracles are big, loud moments, things like loved ones being brought back to life. God, if my dad walked in that door, it would be done. Like, I would just be over. I want that so bad, right? Things like eyesight being restored. That would be cool. Or unexpected windfalls of money. Even cooler. Take my eyesight. I just want my... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But miracles also look like you having more than enough, even if it's just for today. 
Miracles can be deep forgiveness, joy, and hope. Miracles can be finding peace and anchoring yourself securely in the midst of a long and painful journey. A miracle can be not having anger or resentment towards someone or something. So as we depart, and I think that there's elder prayer after, if I'm not mistaken, I wanted to share an invitation and a blessing. The invitation is that we're about to sit together and break bread. Hopefully somebody brought bread to go with salad because that's important. But I invite you to consider doing something that is mildly inconvenient and doesn't bring you ease and softness. Perhaps you're always the first one in line at the food table. I invite you to wait and possibly go last. Perhaps you leave before cleanup starts. I invite you to stay and help longer than you would have preferred or planned. Perhaps you like to sit with your friends and people that you know. I invite you to sit with someone that you don't know and listen and share. And if you really want to shake things up, sit with somebody who might be a little draining to you and be present with them. I don't believe that rejecting any of these invitations is a sin. And I don't have any judgment or will have any knowledge if you do or don't do this. But it's an invitation. And a blessing, this is a combination of blessings from one of my favorite authors, Kate Bowler. Blessed are you standing among the ruins of something that once felt so sturdy and now turned to dust under your feet. The certainty you had gone, the community you loved dissipated, the hope you held dear, hard to find. In this new landscape, may you practice the courage to find the others who make space for your questions without easy answers who celebrate doubt when it makes room for more faith, who search high and low for a defiant hope born amidst despair. Bless you, dear one, you do not give up wrestling. Blessed are you who don't have all the right answers. You who realize that I don't know is the best response and posture for now. You who lean in unafraid to learn and to change and to be wrong along the way, Blessed are you, stretched and pressed and pulled by uncertainty, deciding to not stay in the same because we are not who we were. Blessed are you who realize that community can help see truth more fully, even if your chin has to be gently turned towards it by your saint of a partner. Being fragile among a world of hammers takes courage to be wrong, to learn something new to choose humility and kindness over being right. May we be a people who don't have it all together, curious, hopeful, and courageous. Lord, hear our prayer. Thank you so much, Hannah. And as she said, uh, we do have elder prayer available. And so we have some elders present that if you would like for someone to pray for you, um, just pop up here into the front and we'll do that. Hannah set up a beautiful invitation for lunch. And if someone wants to sit next to you, don't believe the worst of them that they think you're annoying or hard to deal with, right? So, but there is more than enough. And we have set a table and people have brought different kinds of salads 
from dessert salads to fruit salads to chicken salads to who knows what, but there, and there is bread. And we're gonna break bread around a table and do communion, so we really invite you to stay if you can. There is room for you and you are welcome. And so we would love for you to participate with that. But as we go, um, Hannah just sort of like opened up a little meal for us. And one of our promises or commitments is that we want you to, to hear from God. That's a little miracle, isn't it? In essence. And one of my favorite practices for that is that is that is kind of a giant bit of optimism but it's a beautiful belief that god wants to speak to us because he loves us and so we've just we just feasted and we just had this meal and we just had this convert you know the, the hand is just listening and, and over it and i would love just to kind of pause with a little bit of quiet for 30 seconds and to ask that sort of simple question god is there something that you wanted me to take hold of was there just to reflect back, what, what's grabbing your attention this morning? If there's something the Lord wants to impress and say, yeah, that was for you. And so quick, create a little silence. You don't have to muster anything up, but it's just a, just a listen and say, was there something reverberating? Was there a little earthquake in the middle of the talk? Was there, there was a little bit of something that struck you? Or even as we pause and pray, that just rushes into your memory. So let's create a moment for that. So Father, impress upon us. You, you say that those that are needy and those who are like sheep, those who are out there, hear your voice. And so we pause. And what would you like for us to hear? And so we're listening. So if there was something that struck you, we invite you to, one, to even take that in conversation to God, but we also invite you to take it in conversation with one another. What grabbed you? And discuss. And maybe we'd get to the spot where we'd have, we'd be like, oh, I think God's saying this to me. May that be. So again, uh, thank you so much, Hannah, for your vulnerability, your authenticity, your care, your humility um, in that, and, and it was wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, so uh, we release you. Grab food then and there, but if you'd like to be prayed for uh, or would love prayer, um, th that is available now, but we would love grab your kids if you've got some or not. Don't grab any other kids if they're not yours. Uh, and, and head down to the South Hall and we would love to sh share around the table.